Well, good evening, Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to make it here. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm pastor here uh, at this location, and I'm glad to be here and open up God's Word uh, with all of you tonight. Um, <clears throat> a lot of us, well, maybe 15 to 17 hopesters here, we spent a couple hours cleaning up the community this afternoon, which was um, <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. Um, you know, found a couple of heroin needles. Um, that was fun. But it's, but it's nice getting that stuff off the streets. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like it re really is uh, cleaning that stuff up. And um, uh, I was with walking around with Paul Stiver, and I don't know why, but there was just this rotten bowl of old Chinese food, and we decided to throw it in the bag. And and then for the last hour, it was just gag city, <laughs> and it was just some little horse from gagging all afternoon. Um, it was pretty rough, but it was it was good. I was glad we were able to do it, um, and we went and hung out at the at the, at the uh, Black Dog Cafe. And, and uh, so, anyways, that we'll probably do that. I don't know if we'll do it every month. They, the um, uh, the Spire Credit Union they do it every month, and and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. But it was really good to be able to help out and, and clean up with that. Um, yeah, so I had that, I had the, uh, John asked that question. I was thinking more of like, if you ever like tried to kill a spider, you know, and, and then you thought you squished it and it didn't, he had a very different take uh, on that than I did, but that's okay. Um, it still worked. Uh, I, there was actually a time for me when we lived in, uh, in Uptown in, in Minneapolis. Um, this was, oh man, five years ago, probably four or five years ago. I was actually a, a, an intern at Hope. And uh, I went outside, you know, it's, we're in the city, and right on the corner of, like, Franklin and, uh, and Hennepin, or whatever, where we were, there was a raccoon just curled up in a ball on the sidewalk, right in the corner of the sidewalk. And I just thought that was odd. Um, I thought maybe something was wrong, like I had rabies, or like, why is it just taking a nap? Um, on the corner, so I'm screaming at it, yelling at it, trying to wake it up because I don't want to spook some rabid raccoon. Um, and then, and then it actually was was already dead. So mine was, you know, so so it was funny because cars were like stopping on the road, watching me yell at this raccoon, and it was, and it was dead, um, which was pretty amazing. So um, mine was kind of the reverse. I thought it was alive and it ended up being dead instead of something that was dead and it was alive. But I bring that up because the passage that we're going to be talking about tonight is going to really say that uh, sin is, is dead. Oh, let me make sure I get to my uh, sermon here. There we go. Okay, let's make sure we're good. Um, and so looking at, like, like, sin is dead. Like, we're done with sin. Well, are we really? Because I know what Scripture teaches. I know what it says. I know it says that sin is dead. But yet, if I'm, in, if I'm in Christ, but at the same time, man, it doesn't always feel that way. I, do, I, I still sin, and I still struggle with sin, so then why, why is this still a thing? Why do I still struggle with this thing that's supposedly dead, right? I go up to it and think it's dead, and then it, it wakes up, and it freaks me out because I don't understand. And so I want to look at a little bit more of that tonight based on the passage in First Peter. Uh, we've been here for 15 weeks in First Peter, and so that's, that's where we're going to be, First Peter 4, 1 through 6. And just being done with sin, if you've got a hand on the way in, you've got at least a little bit of an outline of where we're going. Um, I have been fighting something, so if I'm like a little bit more raspy than normally, I apologize, and I'm just going to do my best to get through this. I like almost lost my voice last night, and I woke up, and it was feeling a lot better. I had a dream that I had to go to like Pastor Steve downtown and say, uh, with like in sign language, like, I can't preach, you gotta, you got to go do this. So it was just a dream. I got my voice back. So uh, Okay, so First Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6 says this, 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness and their reckless wild living and heap abuse on you. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to give, ready to judge living and the dead. Boy, this may not not happen tonight. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, we're going to keep going. Nope, maybe not. (coughs) Uh, This is is every preacher's worst nightmare, you know? (laughs) Spend all this time prepping, and you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to let you talk tonight. All right, just let you you read. I'm getting through here, okay. All right, he preached living the dead. All right, that's the the scripture. (laughs) Oh, brother. All right, let me me say this before we get in here. I'm just going to... Basically, Peter, he's switching here, and he's done this a little bit. He's, he's given some imperatives. He's given some commands, um, but, but he's going to switch from the indicative. What, what, what kind of I, I, do I identify with? This is something that I, who I am. I'm, I'm in Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. We as the church, as the body, are being built up together that he is everything that I am, and everything that I do is the future hope that I have in Christ, that's the indicative, and he's going to move now to the imperative of like, okay, because this is true of you, now this is what's going to happen. These are the changes that are going to start happening in your life. And so we're going to see this shift to be very, very clear tonight of now be done with sin and stop living this certain way as we saw in those verses. And then um, he makes these, these differentiations between flesh and spirit, and just for time's sake, I'll just skip over the verses, but going and looking at, a lot of times I think people see in Scripture that flesh is evil, <coughs> excuse me, evil or bad. It's not true, okay? That's a Gnostic, it was a Gnostic way of thinking, right? So I would beat my flesh or, or anything that if it feels good, then therefore it must be bad. And, and a lot of you, if you grew up in the church, maybe you had that same kind of mentality of, right, if I'm having too much fun or if it makes me feel good or anything like that, it must be evil, it must be bad. And that's not what Scripture teaches, uh, that we've been created by God, and it's a good thing. But there's also this, then, and then if it's spiritual, right, if it's heavenly, then that's a good thing. And that's not, that's not, it's Gnosticism. That was something that's been going on for thousands of years, and that's not the case that we see in Scripture. Um, but yet, it's really the easiest way to say the flesh is, is, the, is the body, it's the things that we do that are carnal or sinful. And so he kind of makes these differentiations, but yet it's not as like that's bad and this is good. Uh, it's just, just a way to differentiate, differentiate that. So he, he does this multiple times, looking at the future hope that we have, the living hope in this new birth in uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6. But I'm not going to read those verses. And then again, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, um, that once we were a people, but now we're not a people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have. That we've something's changed. We've gone from death to life, um, and, and it's kind of this flesh to spirit kind of a language that Peter uses. So the first point, though, is be willing to suffer like Christ rather than sin. And so 
Peter says this then, this first portion. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And so if we just focus on this little chunk, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, and then that we should, because even Jesus did, for the will of God. And I want to look at this like Christ aspect of this and go back to Luke chapter 22, 39 through 44. This is going to be Thursday night uh, of, of the, the week uh, where he's going to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus is in the Jerusalem and he's out at the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows that he's about to be betrayed. And so he's out there and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, as, as usual, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And what is this cup, right? This cup is, is betrayal, right? Betrayal by his best friends, denial of his own people that he came to save, and, and murder and crucifixion. And he knew this was company, and he prays, God, if there's any possible way that this, I don't have to go through this for our people, for, for humanity, please, please, let there be another way. And God doesn't say, okay, son, I don't want you to have to do that, right? He says, this is the only possible way. And so God then sends angels to encourage him and strengthen him. Right? He gives him strength in the time of need, that it's not just, hey, everything's going to be fine and dandy, and that's what Christ suffered for our behalf. And so therefore, we, when we see how Christ responds, then, according to Peter, we are to arm ourselves. Arm ourselves with what? The same attitude. The same attitude of, Father, it's not my will that I want done, it's your will. And that's not easy to say. It's, it's not any, I mean, really when we think about that, right, the, the things that I, that I want and I desire, and sometimes those are good things, right? I, I desire a family, and there are people that I know in here that are single that say, I desire this thing, but maybe I need to let go of that, because maybe that's not what you have. Maybe that's my will, and it's not your will. Maybe there's this thing that I desire, a better job and more money and whatever it may be to just say, you know what, God, this isn't my, I don't want my will to be done. I want yours to be done. And that is not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy place to be. But that is exactly what Jesus did. And we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers, and the whole point of this is that we are going to suffer. And the whole point of 1 Peter is the fact that actually because of our faith, we're going to suffer as a result, as a direct result of our faith that we're going to suffer. And this is, he's already gone into this before. And again, just time's sake and my voice's sake, I'm not going to go back and look at some of those verses. But looking at that, we must suffer for a certain time as believers and in our faith. This could be, you might, be, you might get ridiculed for not cheating with some classmates. You might get pie passed up on a job because you don't want to lie or you're not cutthroat enough for a job. Maybe some of you are in that category. Man, we really just need some go-getters. You just got to be able to stomp on people. I forget, I was just talking with someone today. I don't remember who it was. I apologize if you're in this room. I don't think it was anybody here. 
But just there was this job, right? And, and part of the job was they had to kind of represent, you know, kind of like big pharma and go after the small people that can hardly pay for their drugs, you know? And it was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that, right? I want to I I help individuals, right? It was just... And I think that's, that's, that's a result of suffering because of our faith, maybe because of our being conservative or whatever you want to call it because of that. Or we don't do what we once did, and so we're made fun of that. And so we choose to suffer under that rather than, than sin because of my faith. Uh, in our culture, though, there, uh, for me, this, this happened, uh, again, four or five years ago. In between my internship at Hope, <coughs> it actually helped me that I was a Christian, which doesn't usually happen a whole lot. Um, but I worked for this. I was uh, applying for a summer job. We had the summer off. And um, it was this, this plastic molding company. They heat, they heat plastic up really hot, and they injection mold it into a shape of something. And so everything that you use that's plastic is usually made in this manner. And it was just a summer job. It was like on monster.com, and it was for three months, and that's what I needed. And, and so I applied. And and I get into the office, and the CEO, is, it was a smaller company, so the, the CEO was interviewing me, and he says, uh, um, so I have a question. This is like an internship for, um, you know, people who are studying polymers at the U, or we've got, you know, some uh, chemical engineers, all those kinds of things, and here I see that you have your MDiv, you know, your Master of Divinity. Oh, what, why do you want this job? And I was like, well, it's a summer job. You know, I just need, I just need a summer job, and and it paid well, and so I applied for it. And, uh, and he, goes, he goes, well, am I going to all summer long going to have to be telling you, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, and, you know, it seems like you've studied a lot, but maybe you don't have a lot of street smarts. And, and, and thankfully, those of you who know me, uh, my, my Jeep was right outside, and I had the doors off, which normally they shouldn't come off, and I said, look, look at my Jeep. And he was like, all right, all right. So I got hired because the Jeep, but then he said, all right, all right. But then he said this, he said, yeah, here's a, he's like, I really want to hire you because we, we actually need some more Jesus in here. That's what he said, right? And so then he went around to every one of the employees, right? Hey, Bobby, this is Brian. He's studying to be a pastor. I figured we should, we should need him because we need more Jesus in here. And I was just like, what is happening right now, right? And I actually all summer long just got to like talk about Jesus whenever I wanted to because that's when the boss said it, right? So I guess I could talk about it, you know? It was really interesting. But that, that's usually not how we suffer, right? As Christians, it was not a great job, but it, it, it paid the bills. So factory jobs usually aren't the greatest. All right. I want to get into this, though, looking at being done with sin. What does he say here? He says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And I think this is a verse that, that sometimes maybe if you just read this could be easily be taken out of context. If I suffer in the body, well, I've suffered, so I'm, I'm done with sin? What does this mean? Well, Paul gets this, I think, even more explicit in Romans. He says this, for we have been uh, united with him in his death like his, and we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by my sin might be done away with. Okay, so we, we died with him and the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because any, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And then he goes on to say, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Jesus, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires and do not offer any part of yourself as, as, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death 
to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And this is what Paul teaches, right? Which this is a beautiful, these are beautiful passages that we've died in Christ and we've been raised in Christ, but yet why in the world do I still sin? Why do I constantly say, Jesus, I know you're beautiful. I know that you've helped me. I know that you've saved me from eternity. Yet this thing over here is still tempting because I still struggle that way. I love what Karen Job says about this. This is, I think this might be the only quote. Oh, no, I've got one more at the end, but I just want to read this quote from Karen Jobes. I think she summarizes this, what I just read so far very well. This study concludes that those who suffer unjustly because of their faith in Christ have demonstrated that they are willing to be uh, through or done with sin by choosing obedience. So this isn't, I've just suffered in my body, and so therefore sin's all gone. I'm, I'm choosing to obey because I'm in Christ, even if it means suffering. Although it is true that sin eventually but inevitably leads to suffering, obedience to God may lead to unpleasant consequences as well, which we've already mentioned. This is sometimes overlooked by those who understand following Christ as only a path to blessing and not to health and wealth. Right, that if I if I just love Jesus, if I if I tie to the church, well then therefore we're it's just exponentially gonna grow in me and God's gonna bless me. That's not anything, but scripture never says that. That matter of fact, what I think what Peter is trying to say here is that because of my faith, there is suffering. And so therefore, the end goal, my hope and future glory in Christ, it had better outweigh any suffering that I could ever possibly go through here. And Jesus demonstrates that. So it's not just about gaining something from Jesus, like he's going to give me something now. As a matter of fact, the end of the passage that I coughed through uh, will teach a little bit more on that, on that aspect. Uh, she continues, Peter's readers face the choice of either taking the path of least resistance, going along with the values, norms, and practices acceptable and expected by their society, or being obedient to God and suffering the consequences of criticism and condemnation by unbelieving family and friends. Their willingness to suffer this way therefore demonstrates that they have resolved to be through with sin. So then how do we do this? How do we die to sin? This is where I think if, uh, if you grew up in a church like me or, or had a background, this is where it would be really easy to just give you law. You, this, this, is how you, this is how you stop sinning. You, you, you do this and then, and then you do this and then you're going to be good for a while. And if, it, and if you fail, you know, then we just got to we start the process over, right? right? We, we got to put things, whatever it may be, just, just law. Or, or, or I could go the fear route, right? Hey, that, that ailment you had, that thing you're suffering from, you want to know why? It's because you've got sin in your life. Now that, that's an easy way to try to manipulate people and to stop sinning. Right? We, we could just guilt each other to death. We could shame each other to death because of our sin. That's not the gospel. I'm no longer under the law. I'm under grace. So then, what does this grace look like? Well, I think it looks a lot like Jesus. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15? He says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, abide in my love. And if you keep my commands, as he's, he's going to explain what that means, 
You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That verse right there used to really confuse me because God created me. God created all of us, and if he creates us and says, okay, I'm going to create you, now I want you to love me. To, To me, years ago, I would read verses like this, and I'd say, man, God is just really selfish. I'd be like, why would he create an entire race of people and say, I want, I'm going to create you, and I want you to love me. I want you to worship me. It just sounds really egotistical for God to do that. And as I was thinking about it a little bit more, right, and I have a, I have a, a two-year-old, and I have a, a almost two-month-old over there. I'm going to leave Jack out of this because he, he doesn't really talk a whole lot. But um, Henry, on the other hand, right, he, he just turned two a couple months ago. And, uh, and, and, and I, you could say I, I created Jack, if you will, right? Uh, and, and so he's my, he's my little human, right? And, and I've created this child. And for me, just to create a child and then say, okay, hey, listen, I've I've cleaned you, I've fed you, I've put, a, I've put a roof over your house, therefore you owe it to me to love me. You, you had better love me. That's not, that's, but then that's not what God does, right? And it's not what I do as a father, right? I, I, I love my child, right? I demonstrate what love is. I care for him. I stay up with him when he's sick. I play with him. I, I give him what he needs and then, and then more, because I, I want to do everything I can to know, for him to know that he's loved. And when he knows he's loved, maybe one of these days, he'll say, I love you too, <laughs> right? He's like purposely not. I know you, I know you can use those words. <laughs> I know you don't know what it means. I don't even care. I just want to hear it, right? But that's, but that's what the father does, right? He says, listen, listen, child, I love you. I love you while you were Still sinning while you were my enemy, I sent my son to die for you because I loved you so much. I care for you so much. And so our attitude is not fear, guilt, shame, law. Our attitude to stop and turn from sinning is you are so good. That's our motivation. That's our attitude every time. Because, again, going back to the previous thought, is that selfish then for God to do that? Well, think of it this way. If God creates us, and he creates the entire universe, and he gave us anything that could satisfy us apart from him, it would be inferior. (laughs) If the king of kings, the lord of the universe who created satisfaction, unlimited, ultimate glory and joy said, you can be satisfied with something else, it would all fall short. And so the most loving thing our Father in heaven could do is to say, I'm going to give a God-sized hole in your heart, human, and the only thing that will satisfy you is me and my love for you. And that's what he has done. And so then he goes on and to say, Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. We are God's friends, and he has laid his life down for us. How do we kill sin? How do we choose life over death? How do we choose the creator over the creation, even good creation? 
How do we say, how do I choose Jesus over something that, that I idolize? This is how. We look at the cross and we say, Jesus is so good. And the winner is, I don't remember why I put that there. As a result, that's what it was. As a result, the winner is, I don't know, I'm trying to be clever. It doesn't usually work. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We've changed. We've gone from death to life. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we did not have mercy, and now we do have mercy. Something's changed. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, just saying whatever goes, lust, drunkenness, orgies, uh, carousing. That's like a weird, it's, we use the English standard version here at Hope because um, it's, it's actually really easable, easable, there we go, really easable, easily readable is what I was, <laughs> yeah, it's an easable translation. Uh, it is an easy, easily readable translation, but carousing, it's like, what does that mean? It just means like, I mean, like a- actively like going to like a, a drunken party. Um, and I immediately, as I was looking up that, I was reminded of the, of the Roman uh, purgatoriums, um, which I, was, I feel like I was doing it this afternoon. So in, the, in their culture, they would have these rooms with these pits that were for purging yourself uh, when you were too full and too drunk to uh, make more room for more uh, food and drunkenness, right? Which is pretty disgusting. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what this is talking about, okay? Don't, don't do that, all right? And detestable idolatry. Those, that's, what, that's who we once were. Detestable idolatry. Right, what, a, what a great phrase. I mean, idolatry is taking where, because we all worship something. Everybody worships something, whether they go to church or not. You, you, they're worshiping something, right? I forget who it was, but some, some pastor somewhere, right, said every, every brothel is filled with worshipers. Right? Just, everyone's worshiping something. But is it God? Am I taking something that that creator has made and making that my God? That is detestable idolatry. And then again, and I've said this a few times, this could be a good thing. Right? This could be family, this could be money, this could be independence, this could be a lot of things. But if this is the thing that I'm pursuing more than the creator, and we've missed it. He says, they are surprised, the people around us, and maybe people that we used to do these things with, they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. And the final few verses that I couldn't get through before says this, he's the judge of the living and the dead. This is verse five and six. He says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason that the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. At face value, you could read this and say, man, that's kind of confusing. I don't get this whole, what's the, who's preaching to the dead? I thought, I thought Jesus didn't go to hell. Nope, he didn't go to hell. Okay, we talked about it last week, right? He did not descend to hell. Right? But looking at what, what's going on here, he's saying that we've, all, we've, all been, we've heard the gospel, and even those of us who have rejected the gospel and have passed, and even if we've accepted the gospel and died, what Peter is saying here is death doesn't have the final word because it doesn't have the final word with Jesus. We've been buried with him in the baptism of his death, and we are going to be raised again in newness of life in his resurrection. And because of his life, we have life. Because of his death, 
We don't have to fear death. And so even if our culture, and, and I don't think our society is quite there yet, where I don't fear for my life as a Christian, that's for sure. And if, and if, but if, if that were to happen, even to the point of death, what Peter's saying here is, guess what? Jesus has it. One last quote here from, from John Calvin, an old, old dead reformer, says this. We see that death does not hinder Christ from being always our defender. It is a remarkable consolation to the godly that death itself brings no loss to their salvation. Even if Christ does not appear as deliverer in this life, yet his redemption is not void or without effect, for his power extends even to the dead. That's what Peter's talking about, that Jesus wins. So in conclusion and gospel application, I have a couple, couple points. That we need to be killing sin, <clears throat> or sin will be killing you. That's a John Owen quote, right? The, I need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing, killing you. My, my father wrote in our Bibles as kids, right, that, that this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. That when we, when we look and we see Jesus in his glory, then, then these things here fade away. We're able to, we're able to kill sin, we're able to put to death sin, but we're not supposed to do this alone, that we're supposed to do this together. And I know we've said this a million times, but our relationship with Jesus is not, it's a personal relationship, but it's not a private relationship. That we're to do this together in a small group or as a community, whatever it may be, to, to confess. And when we confess our sins or, or we talk about things that we're struggling with, but if you hear somebody confess your sins, give them some encouragement. Tell them you're praying for them, right? Don't just say, oh, thanks for sharing. Move on, right? Let's talk. It's okay. That's what we're here for. Right? We're a family to be killing sin together. And then finally, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? That when we're struggling, when we're tempted, right, it's, it's easy to say, man, it would just be easy if we just put up, put up, put up some law, right? Just, just fear, right? Yes, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Those are good things. But our motivation, our deepest heart is that joy that we can get from Christ because of his love in us. So we just turn our eyes upon Jesus. That was an old hymn that I used to sing growing up. Turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so we need to constantly turn our eyes upon Jesus. Like we do every week here at Lower Town, we're going to have communion, a time for the Lord's Supper. And so we have juice that represents the, the blood of Christ and bread, which represents the body of Christ. And there's no pressure for you to take of these elements, but all we'd say is if you are just a, a follower of Jesus, if you would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I don't pursue him perfectly. I definitely am picking up trash and living in sin, but man, I, I want that. I do call him Lord, and so I, wanna, I do want to kill sin. And, and what are these steps that we can do, and how can we do that together? Jesus is my Lord, and I would love for you to take of these elements that represent his body and his blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken for us. And that we would turn our gaze on Jesus, that we would say, not my will be done, but your will be done. That we would look at Jesus and that we would see the things of this world go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace because of what he accomplished on the cross for us and our sins thousands of years ago. So you bow with me as we pray and as we sing and as we partake of the sacrificial meal together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are loving. 
Sometimes we, we, we have some kind of disconnect that when we are suffering, that when we're going through pain, to, to blame you. Instead of just blaming the circumstance, instead of just blaming that we live in a fallen, sinful world, that we are so quick to point the finger at you, and yet you know our suffering, you see our suffering, you, you hear. And your son, Jesus, took on flesh, and he knows exactly what it means to be betrayed, to be neglected, to be uh, turned away from, and then ultimately even murdered. God, you know. So God, would you help us now as we partake of these elements to, to kill sin, maybe repent, confess those sins to you privately, maybe uh, to somebody else if, if need be. But God, I just pray that you'd hear our, our prayers and you'd hear our voices as we lift up your glorious name. And it's a Christ's name that we pray. Amen.